Welcome back to the Line to Gain podcast. This is episode 13, reviewing week 12 of the 2022 NFL season. I'm Jeremy Dixon, here as always with Mike Parker. Mike, how you doing, man? Uh, doing good. I'm glad to have the, the holidays, or at least the Thanksgiving holiday behind us. Yeah, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, I guess we did come to you once since then, but yeah, I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Anyway, I hope you got to spend time with family, whatever you want, whatever you... Uh, whatever for, for me, it's a busy time. In. It's just like absolutely chaotic moment. We have people coming over to our house, so there's like the clean the house, the make the food, like cutting cutting cheese so you can lay it out on the table. Man, it's just so much work <laughs> My, throughout the day. Cutting cheese, man, that's tough. <laughs> tough ex- first world problems. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. It's uh, the holidays can be a hectic time, especially when we have a football podcast to do and you have to ignore your family and watch football all that day. that's the toughest part right there honestly is like trying to convince like half of my family like i'm gonna slide downstairs and catch 15 minutes of this game that really doesn't matter at the end of the day right you know, so <clears throat> uh yeah i mean i was uh i yeah i, I was happy to do it <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was not that uh that big of a pull so uh, anyway, well, yeah, that we did have some uh, some great games this uh, last week, Mike. But first, I guess let's get to uh, some of our gambling uh, positives or woes Oof. in your case. Yeah, so I just doubled down on the underdog um, on Thanksgiving Day. I'm like, I got to hit on one of these, and if I hit one, I, I should be good. You know, for the most part, I would have covered my losses. Um, and I lost all three, so that's awesome. So I uh, had the Detroit money line uh, playing Boston, uh, Buffalo, lost that. I had the New York Giants money line at Dallas, lost that. And of course, the New England money line at Minnesota and lost that. So not a good Thanksgiving from a betting perspective. Um, I did, however, come out on top of Denver at Carolina. I took the Carolina money line, and then the second leg was the under at 36.5. Got real close. They had to pull back that um, that Russell Wilson 300 touchdown pass. Had to take that off the board due to a penalty, and they ended up getting, I think, a field goal, and that really kept me on the under there, and I hit that at uh, pay out, it was plus 258 so that was fun nice and then uh i had tennessee money line um lost that in chicago i didn't think mike mike white was going to turn into dan marino so uh i would yeah i'd pump the brakes on that for a minute because we've seen mike white look three game at, stretch that's really all seen, you need i we've guess we've seen mike white look as good if not better in previous seasons Ball's uh, coming he, out better. He He's decisive. A, he he threw in small windows. I don't know. Hopefully he, he has better people to throw to than he did last year. That's true. That is true. And um, the defense is great. Yeah, defense has finally arrived, I think. So how did you do this week? I uh, did pretty well. So I did, uh, I did check back through some of our previous recordings to figure out where exactly I was at. And I was plus 140 going into this week. Okay. So I, had, I had to take fifty dollars off off of my. I think I was plus one ninety overall, and uh, but I had to take fifty dollars off for for the big that I forgot to calculate <laughs> uh, in my previous lo- losses. I guess. Um, so this week I um, started out good on uh, on there on uh, Thanksgiving. I had the Giants plus nine and a half, won that. 
And then I also had Minnesota minus two and a half versus New England and, and got that game. So I got got off to a good start. Uh, and then on Sunday, I had the, the Jets minus four and a half versus Chicago. And that was a pretty easy win uh, with the, the aforementioned uh, Mike, don't call me Frank, King of New York, white. Uh, and then I did I the one the one I can't. I cannot figure out Baltimore to save my life, man. I, yeah, they're untouchable bet, for me. At that, I bet for that I bet Baltimore minus four at Jacksonville. Um, I almost bet them again this week, but I decided to to pause on that one. Uh, yeah, lost that. So on the week I was uh, plus one ninety, um, which brings my total up to plus three thirty on the season. Yeah, I'm still plus. I'm plus six uh, two sixty two fifty nine. 59 cents um, okay. for the year. I'm still in the green or the black, if you will. But, um, yeah, it was a rough week. So to your point, it feels like if I would have taken, instead of taking the money line on those bets, I probably probably should have played the, then this is something maybe to remember when I'm, when I'm stretching, making a stretch like that. I just don't like the numbers. Like even at a, like a plus five or something like that, you're still, it's a negative payout. So yeah. that's the thing. I'm trying to look for some value and stuff like this. That's why I've been taking money lines. But strategy isn't working really good from week to week. So I did uh, in real life. I did. I just made like a five dollar bet on uh, Sunday. Actually, I, I made a five dollar bet on the over for the New England game. And I was I just was like, screw it. I'm going to take New England on the money line. Right. Also, I did a five dollar bet on that and lost because New England didn't win. Um, and then on Sunday I did, uh, I had the Jets money line. I had, uh, who was it? Jets, Carolina, and San Francisco. And I just took them all three on the money line and won like $5 bet, won like $22 or something. So I was happy with the, with the actually winning a couple dollars this week as opposed to normally losing my rear end. So there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, well, let's take a look at some observations. It was a fun and interesting week of football, to be honest. Um, there were no buys this week. We did have two games on Sunday that went into overtime, and then also two games that were won on gutsy two-point conversion Ooh. calls in a win-or-loss scenario. So yeah. that was really, really interesting. They were uh, two for uh, two, for two. the teams that went, on, went for the two-point conversion, yeah. uh, got it, and won the game in both cases. But I, I don't know if I've ever remember seeing that type of scenario yeah no i i don't either but it, it was the, the those were so exciting man so one of the things i've been noticing um like regional weather patterns and the effects that it has on games for example snow game or the snow up in buffalo they had to like mm -hmm. reshift you know everyone to, to to detroit uh the week after that i believe it was the windstorm that affected like three games up in the Northeast. Yeah, like, knock, knocked out the power at the uh, at Gillette Stadium for the Patriots game. I exactly, think. and then they were basically or kicking it power, sideways. But yeah, they, they like lost power, I guess, to their trucks or whatever. Yeah. For the so they were they were running off of one generator, uh, one camera, the yeah. fifty oh, that's yard right. line yep. camera. Remember, I I just happened to see it on a uh, catch it on Red Zone, and they were saying like. Uh, Welcome back to 1983. We have one camera available to, to film the game. <laughs> this is pretty funny. So this week we had um, quite a bit of rain, and it looks like it affected mostly the New York Giants and Washington uh, football team games. 
So that's some something interesting as we go into like November. Uh, I'm sorry, we're out of November, but late, you know, December and January, like how that kind of comes into play. Yeah, yeah. Because I shoot, we're getting snow up here in Washington State this week, and uh, that's that ought that's to be pretty fun. odd for uh, for November. And now I guess we're going to be in December by the time you all hear this. Yeah. But, um, that's get all your alcohol now because yeah. you might get stuck. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> Definitely a strange, strange uh, occurrence in Washington State to have snow this early. So, all right. Well, speaking of that snow game, uh, Buffalo at Detroit uh, is our first game, okay. um, and that was a that was a uh, Christmas Day game. Thanksgiving Day game. <laughs> Thanksgiving Day game. Yeah, I'm already moving. <laughs> hey, my yeah, my well, mind's know, already moving down the road. Goes, Sorry. Man, I know how it goes. <laughs> Detroit uh, got off to a good start. I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, scoring on their first drive uh, buffalo answered um this is one of the things i noticed i'm trying to figure out whether the detroit defense if whether it's the players that they need to upgrade or whether it's the play calling and i saw a, like a really major what i think is a bad play call that led to uh, ultimately a touchdown so um Aaron Glenn is the Detroit defensive coordinator. looks like he called a blitz on third and long. Um, uh, Rodriguez got blocked, and that created a numbers mismatch. So basically, he blitzes from, I believe, a Sam linebacker position and essentially runs into a wall of um, linemen. And that allowed Josh Allen to kind of get out into space and he scrambles for 21 yards and a first down. This had Buffalo in the red zone and they scored three plays later. So I wonder, and they, they had been handling um, the, the bills for the most part by keeping that containment and like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to say, Hey, he's not throwing well um, short. Maybe it's the elbow. Maybe it's the mentality, like whatever's going on with him. Maybe he's frustrated, but we can control this game. No big explosive plays downfield and keep him in the pocket. And all of a sudden they let him out. And that was a big, big mistake. And I think from there they were, they were playing catch up to uh, Buffalo. So I don't know. Conclusion, the blitz, uh, the blitz shouldn't have been called. Josh Allen is too big and, and yeah. he can create mismatches in, in their favor because if he's one-on-one, it's hard enough, right? right? And Rodriguez would have been that guy in that scenario. Well, and he's not very big anyway, so it's, you know, compared he, he gets to spots. Allen. He can tackle. He's not afraid. So right. I really like him as a rookie. Um, I think he's definitely somebody that can at least get to Josh Allen to tackle him. But it, when you put him in a position where he gets, like, blocked and it, it's over with, and Josh Allen, now everyone's manned up except Josh Allen and probably the deep safety or something like that. Then yeah. it's like, it's game over. Um, I, my, I heard a, an interesting stat and I did not write it down, but it was something along the lines of like over the last two years that when Jared Goff, when Amon Ross St. Brown starts a game and finishes a game, doesn't leave with an injury right, or isn't injured going in where he can't play. Um, his passer rating is like top five in the NFL. 
or something along. It was something like that. He's one of like the best passers in the game when he has Amon Ross St. Brown available to him. And you can see like that guy is like such a safety net for him. Like it's like the typical, like you always hear like the, Devontae tight, the Adams. tight end well, or like the t- like tight Kelsey. ends, yeah. you know, are, are the safety net for a lot of, a lot of, like they're always like, Oh, if you have a good tight end, he'll be a safety net for the quarter for a young, young quarterback. Or like if, if you have to have the backup come in, like, Oh, if you have that safety net, like Amon Ross St. Brown, this kid can do everything, man. He is fun to watch. Yeah, he, is. he gets open. He's you know, he I guess he had his first touchdown last week um, since like week two, but he still is like just putting up a great amount. I mean, good yards and catches every single game. So um, that that was I just I was impressed that. Uh, Detroit, yeah, kind of came out firing, and I mean they don't really have anything to lose at this point, and I and I don't see Dan Campbell losing that team, which is interesting as well. So, well, um, here here's my like I think they do have stuff. They're trying to create a culture of winning, and I think they were so close these last few games, even the ones before they went on the winning streak. They were yeah. close to winning that game. I believe it was against the Giants. And they're right there in every single one of those matchups. So it really sucks to have this kind of situation. Um, well, to me, speaking of like exciting players to watch, that Buffalo kicker with that eye black on his left eye, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen that where the kicker comes out and just has that little right. swagger or whatever. Yeah. He did miss that PAT to the left. I don't know if that's a coincidence. Yeah. Um, um, Detroit, or uh, sorry, Buffalo, first... Uh, First team to win back-to-back games in Detroit since like 2015 or something like that. Oh, that's I hilarious. Seeing. That yeah. is hilarious. It might have been. It, may, it might be 2016. What a coincidence! But way, like yeah. weather anomaly right. causes something that's right. They're the first. Hasn't yeah. happened for 20 D- years. Detroit hasn't won in back-to-back home games. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I thought that was a great stat too. So. So I think you can kind of take a picture of Dan Campbell uh, throughout the game and kind of. You can tell how they're going, how well they're doing. They were scoring and stopping Buffalo early on. And he's excited and he's moving around and he's like communicating and hand signs and high fives. And then we get to that two minute drill and he looked like he was stressed. Yeah. He had no idea what was going on. He, I, it, he was quiet. He's, he's not interacting. Like, I just wish... There, is there feedback when they're not showing them on camera? Like, what's next? What's the next play? Right. Do you have a consultant for time? You know, time management. Like, what are? I like to see yeah. a little bit more engagement from him, and not yeah. like a deer yeah, in the headlight. Hopefully, look. hopefully he is like you said when when they're not showing him on camera. But yeah, I don't. That, that, hey, I can only true. go with what I see. Right. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just saying my observations yeah. are dot dot dot. Right. All right, I think we've uh, beat that uh, game to death here. Uh, let's move on to the New York Giants at Dallas Cowboys. Um, this, for me, was the tale of two halves. Uh, New York Giants were holding off Dallas pretty well early on. Uh, Danny Dimes looked in command of the game early. And then the Dallas running game kicked off, and Danny Dimes just regressed to the middle. Like yeah. he, there's those players that like they spike and you know go into their into their valleys, and uh, they ultimately just stay in that middle zone where they they're not really not a lot you can do with them. Yeah, I mean it's yeah they couldn't really get Saquon going much in this game, um, especially in the second half. Uh, 
and they just they really have no I feel like the Giants I think that Danny Dimes could be a decent NFL quarterback if he had better I he just doesn't have other than Saquon Barkley really any weapons like, well that I, is for sure they and Kadarius Tony I mean like I can't believe they couldn't get that guy the ball kids like fast as lightning and uh you know I did that that was strange to see them give up on him so quickly because like he was only he was just a 2020 first round draft pick and they shipped him off to Kansas City so um so I don't know how many of these are drops but Daniel went 21 for 35 228 yards it's not really an impressive um I don't know that's about 65 percent um, and I mean, a that's kind of middle of the road. That's kind of what, yeah. what all these, that's what a lot of the other outside of like Patrick Mahomes and But here's Josh Dak's Allen numbers, numbers though. 21 for 30, 261, two touchdowns, but two picks. Yeah. So that is, which, which line is better really? I mean, yeah, I'd rather have, uh, our, my quarterback not turning it over, frankly. Yeah. Me but, too. Me too. But I think the difference here was the running game. So Zeke, Zeke had 92 yards and a touchdown. We got another 60 from Pollard. Um, we had 106 yards from CeeDee Lamb. So they were at least able to move the ball up and down the field. I think yeah. the Giants had an opportunity um, late in the fourth quarter to kind of tie it up. But, you know, the Dallas defense, when you're in that position, you got, a, you got an eight-point lead. Um, you're going to start to tee off and kind of take away um, – it's like no, now or never, right? So and that's what the defense did. They're like, never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, which what game's next here? We got New England, Minnesota. This one was – let me see what I wrote down here. Um, this game was during dinner, so right. I did miss um, chunks of the game. Um, in, the, in the stretches that I did see, the game looked really blah. But it looks like Mac Daddy uh, Jones. Mac Daddy Jesus. 382 and two touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, 28 for 39. That's a great number. But it, it's hard to like watch the game that I was watching and have this this score. Yeah. Well, I you know, I know we both listen to the Bill Simmons podcast at least every now and again. And I heard him on uh, last week talking about he's like, oh, uh, Minnesota, take Minnesota, take Minnesota. He's like the uh, Belichick doesn't trust trust Mac Jones. Like he, they don't let him throw the ball down the field at all. He's like, I don't get it. Like if you don't trust him, put the other kid in. Let's see what he can do. Um, but yeah, they finally like kind of opened up the offense, which was interesting to see. And they they were moving the ball really well. It's just at the end, I think Minnesota just has too many more playmakers than uh, they have than one playmaker. Like, you look at this this. It's well, Hawkin, or Hawkinson though is is a playmaker too, man. You got to give, and and Dalvin Cook, like they've, I mean Je- Jefferson, Dalvin, Dalvin Cook, Cook and, didn't do more than fifty yards. He didn't do much in this game, no. But I'm saying they have, like, there's always the threat of that though. So that's going to keep the keep the defense a little bit honest, you know. I think Dalvin Cook this year is overrated. Tight ends, you're never really game planning for a tight end unless it's Kelsey, maybe a healthy Kittles. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, going... Hawkinson looked really good. In this no, game. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't good in this right. game, but from okay. a game plan perspective, when 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 they go in there, New England, are they are they specifically running defenses to stop him? No, they're going to try to run defenses to stop 
Justin Jefferson. Justin, yeah. So my and that's going to open things up for the other guys, or they have to take advantage. But it didn't in this case, unfortunately. <laughs> it was just right. Ju- Justin Jefferson. How about this for the most Kirk Cousins uh, stat line? Uh, Thirty for thirty-seven, two ninety-nine, three touchdowns and a pick, one sack. I kind of expected uh, the New England defense, which in my opinion is kind of like a Dallas Cowboy light. Um, really good up front. I have players that can play at several positions um, on the defensive line. They're pretty good on the off, you know, the defensive uh, backfield. I thought they would give Kirk Cousins some fits. Um, they, I mean, obviously they couldn't run against the New England defense, but uh, that Justin Jefferson, man, I think he's starting to shine right now. And it, when you have an X-Factor player like that um, on your team, it's, it's hard to lose games. Yeah, uh, the funniest thing was after the um, game was over, because uh, all those Thanksgiving games, they like do the turkey leg, you know, for the players of the game or whatever, and they had Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson over there, and the whatever the announcer was was asking Kirk Cousins what he was going to do this time after they saw him with all the chains on the plane dancing around or whatever, and he said uh, he's going to have to get a get a grill made from his dentist or something I just need less Kirk Cousins (laughs) can you be that can you have that swag on the field and then and then leave it there because I don't see any of that energy when he's playing so I don't know all right so one of the things that I thought was is like Mac's final sequence as they were coming back was just horrible like pouty they weren't pushing it downfield they were they really had the training wheels on him they definitely don't have a lot of faith in him. I mean, just let it go at this point. Yeah. Or put Sappy in. I mean, at least Sappy can attack downfield. Yeah. I'm I not, mean, I wonder what's going on. Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts too. Because you, you you let him go the first three quarters and they're three and a half quarters and then you like just rein him back in at the end and it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. All right. Uh, next game, Tampa Bay at Cleveland. Now. If my team hadn't gone and made one of the most boneheaded, boneheaded controversial decisions in, in my lifetime by uh, hiring uh, Deshaun Watson as their quarterback or signing him, I would have been more uh, excited about this wing. So this scared me. Cleveland scored a touchdown on their opening drive. So their previous five games where they scored on their opening drive, they ended up losing the game. So I was a little worried with that. Um, and they got close. They wanted to hand it off. Um, there was a huge drop by Omari Cooper in the fourth. It was fourth and nine on the Tampa Bay 44 in the fourth quarter. Would have got him a first down. And I really thought at that point they were doing Browns things. And I didn't think it was going to uh, really matter. But they were able to push it into overtime. Weird clock management stuff coming from um, Tampa Bay I didn't get that uh, they didn't call a timeout, lost about 24, 25 seconds, um, and get, didn't didn't allow them to get in a position to uh, maybe get a field goal attempt before right. the game ended. So yeah. they, they blew that, and then, you know, they go to OT, and then it gets two punts, and what do you know? So I've got to be honest with you, Mike, and, and with the people. Please be honest with uh, me. I watched two games on Sunday. Actually, I guess three, including the Sunday night football game. I watched uh, Broncos Panthers in full (laughs) from the beginning. Like I'm probably the only person outside of a Broncos fan or a Carolina Panthers fan that watched that entire game from start to finish uh, and loved every 
goddamn second of it it was fun oh my god it was man. fun it was when the when the guy uh the the defensive anyway so i'm just saying i only saw highlights of most of these games so i don't know like specifics like you just mentioned but um i did did watch a, a few highlights of every game just so i could make sure to be up on on the rest of these but uh and is it weird that i'm so uh i i think i asked you this on sunday when i texted you that i was excited for the Panthers uh Broncos game is it weird is it getting weird that I'm this like invested in Broncos losing yeah because you're the biggest homer that I know know, and it's just like if there's any way to benefit your team you're going to want the other thing to self-destruct it's so true okay and a little bit demented it it is man I'm feeling kind of weird all right speaking of weird we have Cincinnati at Tennessee um, I thought the Tennessee O-line um, is really good. I watched this play where Hubbard was rushing. He he went inside, and the guard picks him up and then moves him to the outside, hands him off to the tackle, allow Tannehill uh, the ability to step up. I thought it was just an amazing, like, you have an, another 290-pound dude that you kind of just shuffle to, to your um, tackle, and he discards him. And Tannehill steps up and fires it downfield. It was an incomplete pass because it's Tannehill. But that little m- moment for those uh, that offensive line, I think, wow, these guys are good. This is why they're in the mix right now is because they are good uh, in the trenches. They are good on defense. They have a good running game. And, um, yeah, that'll, that'll get yeah. you a lot of wins in the NFL. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that. This was uh, I mean, the highlights of this game looked great. It seems like Cincinnati, um, even sitting there without Jamar Chase, you know, that first game without him, they just could not even move the ball. I think they only scored three points or ten points or something that first game, and then uh, they've just slowly been able to build the offense back up. So now when you add Jamar Chase back in in the next couple weeks, I think they're in a really good position to be hitting hitting their stride as they get into the playoffs. Yeah. Well, I looked at Ryan Tannehill uh, in that two-minute drill at the end of the game, and he like takes a lot of checkdowns. In the moment when you need him to push it downfield, yeah. at tight windows, we got to take chances, we got to get it down. He's just check down, check he down, check down. He doesn't take chances, and it just at clock all. is just running. And yeah. if I was if I was uh, Vrabel, I would go, "Hey, dude, we gotta." He was open on the post you gotta throw that yeah take some chances take we some all chances. saw malik willis he got he, could, <laughs> he only completed three passes or something the game he played just pass the ball down the field man let's go and you know who takes chances is joe burrow yeah um his numbers weren't great this week but man that he's competing he's, he's tough fun to watch he's man. fun to watch he's sitting in that pocket just firing downfield he had 270 yards and a touchdown only took one sack this week which is crazy <clears throat> um, then had another 32 yards rushing a lot of those with those in third and fourth down situations where he needed to break that pocket and, and do what he needed to do for the team so he looked really good in the last five minutes uh, of the five ten minutes of the in the fourth quarter, he held held the team together. Again, drops are a problem. I watched uh, T. Higgins drop a couple. Um, they really need Jamar Chase back. Somebody's a little bit more sure-handed and can stretch that defense a little bit. Um, his guys and need T. to be Higgins focused. T. Higgins did look good though in that game. Like he made some. Like he, but that's the other thing, right? He's kind of very 
DK Metcalfish, like right, where he where drops like yeah. three passes a game, but catches you four for 110 and a right. touchdown. Right. So that's what T. Higgins pretty much did. 114 and a touchdown uh, this week. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals pulled that off, 20 to 16. Not a bad, not a bad game. No, it was. Uh, it seemed like that was that was a really good game and two fun fun t- like those those are two of my favorite teams to watch i have a, a take corner on that a little bit later well we need we had that conversation a couple weeks ago about our quarterback uh pyramid and at mm. the top pyramid obviously we have pat mahomes and i don't think anyone's in his class at this no. point but if you go one little section down i think i don't know if we mentioned burrow and i think burrow needs to be in that next tier absolutely he has to be there with um josh allen and forgive me if i'm missing anybody else but that level tier yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to Houston at Miami. There is a lot of Tua love out there in the world. Tua Non is doing their thing. I thought they moved the ball well, and they dominated the time of possession. I did feel like Tua was looking to give the ball back to Houston at times. He seemed to be trying to force it in. Now, I don't know what was going on or what he saw. I saw this great um, piece that Ben Solak did from The Ringer on kind of analyzing Tua and the throws that he makes. Uh, he got a lot of flack for this, so I don't know. Tuanon really doubled down on him, but I, I felt it was very informative in how they designed the offense to throw, have him throw to windows because he's so accurate, and as long as he maintains that accuracy. But it seems like when he gets off that, and it's, it's tougher for him to kind of ad-lib and, you know, throw to different windows. So if a defender potentially, let's say in the playoffs, figure out where those balls are supposed to go, you might have some trouble with the turnover. So we'll see yeah. how that goes. I still like, I, like kind of looking at my, like what teams could, cause I, I saw they popped up like what the, the odds are for two different teams to win the, the Super Bowl. They did a thing on it on ESPN yesterday mm. or the day before. And, I was like, damn, man, maybe I should throw. Like, Miami was down like a ways. Like, it was like plus 1,400 or something. I'm like, that doesn't seem like a terrible bet. Like, throw $100. I mean, they're eight and three or whatever, but I'm just like, I don't trust. There's something that I just can't. I don't know what it is, man, because I feel like, and it's got to be the quarterback. I mean, it's got to be Tua just still waiting to see if he's going to. I mean, obviously, he could get a concussion tomorrow and be done for the season. Or well, injury know. aside, like do teams figure that team out? Yeah, I mean that that's what I'm worried about. I, I I just don't know. He also mentioned that in that system that McVay, well, it's not McVay, it's a really Shanahan system. Um, you have to have a certain level of quarterback. So they have these runs where quarterbacks are really good for a period of time. See Jared Goff uh, that his rookie year. See. Uh, Matt Ryan in his MVP year in that offense where guys where they just got them throwing to spots in these routes and the way that they layer the, you know, layer the different routes to create space and they throw to that space. Um, but once you have them having to make better throws, that's why uh, McVay goes out and gets uh, Matt Stafford right. because he can make those throws and he can make the other ones. 
when they have to ad-lib and the defense figures some stuff out and he has to make a second and third read and, and get it downfield. You know, that kind of, that arm talent does make a difference. So right. I'm, my fingers are crossed for Tua. I like him. I like those little videos that I see on Twitter between him and Mike McDaniel. Yeah. It's like the cutest little thing I've ever seen. And I'm not trying to <laughs> be condescending. McDaniel, Mike McDaniel is my favorite coach in the NFL right Yeah, now. it's a lot of fun to watch. So yeah. I, I'm, and I like Miami um, just in general for some reason. You know, yeah. maybe it's Ace Ventura. I don't know, but... Um, yeah, it's I'm 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 pulling for him. Any other comments on that game? It was kind of like they no. took Tua out in the mid fourth quarter because right, they were yeah, it was, it shelling was, him. Yeah, not I mean Houston is just tanking at this point, and Houston, God willing, Deshaun Watson comes back and shits the bed because Houston's going to end up with like two top five draft picks because my comments are coming later on that yeah, one okay. and and looking forward. All right, well, uh, let's go to the next game then. All right, Chicago at uh, New York Giant or Jets, rather. Uh, Mike White era begins with a opening drive for a touchdown. Um, I did see Sauce got called for a PI on Claypool. Um, I definitely think he's more of a Dion-type quarterback. Uh, he doesn't like fit the physical nature of tackling running backs. He definitely waits for other people. Like He's, he's a hold-me-back tackler. Hold me back. Hold me back. Yeah. I, I just, it doesn't mean he can't be an all pro or the best, mm-hmm. you know, cover corner in the game like Dion was, but that was his, that's his only knock Dion was that he just wasn't a good tackler. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was kind of what I call a double Ewing theory game. <laughs> we, we, we had Trevor Simeon versus Mike White, two backups. I thought it was going to be a trash game, but it ended up being pretty entertaining. Yeah, it was entertaining. I I think we talked last week when I made my bet on this game, and I was I was all I came in like ready to to bet on Chicago, mm-hmm. and then I saw that uh, Justin Fields likely well, he'd separated his shoulder, so I just was like playing the odds that he probably wasn't yeah. gonna play, and I was like at that point I feel like all other signs point to the Jets at that because like their Jets defense is really good. Uh, you know they're they have good skill position players. I figured Mike White would give them at least a little bit of a, a boost of a boost there. Yeah, and, uh, and well, get a it, boost get he moving. gave them three hundred and fifteen yeah. yards and three touchdowns of boosts. Yeah, I thought his we've seen this played before, really well. Yeah. We have seen this before, so I'm not ready to anoint him uh, the the uh, Frank White King of New York yet, but we'll see. <laughs> the King of New York, they would call it the the Fred Frank White Frank Award. White, Frank White, Christopher Walken, Frank White Award. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. I I'm definitely not putting the cart before the horse when it comes to Mike White. But to to be honest, he looked like a capable quarterback, and with he that did. defense and potentially that running game, I really think all you need is a competent quarterback. So I agree. I, I expect um them to do. They're seven and four now. Um, let's see what their schedule is coming up. I it just, I don't, we have the next three games are Vikings, Bills, Lions. So it's a bit of a tough stretch. Um, yeah, well, let's see what he can do. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out, but I have a feeling that maybe after, uh, that Buffalo game that, that Zach Wilson, they, they might try to find a an easy landing spot for him like the lions they actually got quite a i would call it difficult schedule coming up 
So who's after the Lions? Do they, they have six games left? So they're home at the Lions. Uh, so they got, they're at Vikings at Bills. Those are their next two games. They're home versus the Lions, home versus Jacksonville. Then they're at CX at Dolphins. That's not an easy path no. to the playoffs. So interesting to keep that in your back pocket as yeah. you're thinking about who, who you think's going to make the playoffs, especially if it's close. That's a really kind of tough gauntlet to run. Well, I see the Zach attack coming back in that Detroit game. No way, dude. There's no way. I would not bring him back. I doubt he's coming back this year. I doubt it. He doesn't even have trade value at this point. I mean, he's... Dude, I would take him on the Seahawks right now. If they could get him for like a fifth-round pick or something. That's why you're on this podcast and not in the NFL. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm not saying I would start him. I'm just saying... Like, let's collect talent. Seahawks just uh, signed Jonathan Abrams today. It doesn't work that let's way. It's not college talent. football. You can't just collect talent. You have 53 people you have to put on the field I at know, any but, given time. Like, you don't want three of these knuckleheads holding clipboards. I, I would be okay with Zach Wilson instead of Drew Locke as our backup quarterback is all I'm saying. Drew Locke has even a better arm. Yeah, he does. That's true. <laughs> anyway, all right. All right, moving on. Let's move on. Your weird Zach Wilson moving, thing. Man. All right, Atlanta at Washington. Uh, Mariota seems to be playing some pretty inspired football all of a sudden after the butt interception. Not the butt fumble, but the butt interception. Um, he did have a tough interception uh, in in the red zone to end the game. It's just like, oh, you're like praying. You're just hoping for, like, do it, Mariota. You can do it. And then just like, wah, wah just over um heineke didn't play particularly well but uh, washington d is playing rights that uh, lights out right now and oh, man, I they are seven and five from what they started off like let's say five that's weeks crazy. ago they are now seven and five that's crazy um yeah they uh and they, they have chase young is still coming back next week i think man it's gonna be here this coming week i think it's it's gonna they're yeah i think that I think I'm scared of them, man. I'm worried that the Seahawks aren't going to make the playoffs. I know all three wild card teams, as we sit here today, are all from the NFC East. It's Dallas, Giants, and Washington. And I just feel like there's probably no way that those three teams can all – because they're going to beat up on each other down the stretch here. Um, so I'm assuming that Seattle gets in, but it's really eight teams for those seven spots and four of those – uh, or four, four of those eight teams are from the NFC East, and they're the, the NFC East is a is a hell of a division this year. Yeah, they are kind of um, packed in at the top of right. the NFC for sure. So I wonder what kind of uh, Jordan's uh, Heineke got for 138 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Like, uh, did you see his Virginia Strong Air Force Ones or whatever mm-mm. that he wore? Those were pretty sweet. Man. Okay. Yeah political statement interesting all right cool um anything else about that particular game no no all right here we go denver at carolina sammy savior throws a touchdown pass (laughs) carolina their special teams is killing that team they they uh muffed a punt again in the denver red zone i just well that's the only reason denver even scored before garbage time right and they had to score a field goal. Denver is the worst in the league in red zone TD percentage. They're Denver's the worst in the league in a lot of a lot of categories. I'm Their sure. version of cooking is like you know making like prison grilled Top cheese sandwiches. Oh, yeah. 
on the radiator in, the, in your prison cell, <laughs> making some toilet wine. Uh, Denver D is definitely starting to get tired out. Um, they allowed 20 plus to Carolina, which is unheard of. Um, they're playing their asses off all year and just being eight and three after all of the work you're putting in has to be three like and more- eight. Yeah. Sorry. Three and eight. They have, they have to be, it has to be demoralizing. Yeah. My numbers dyslexia popped up. No, pops so up I, I got the, the same, same thing, man. Um, no, I, I can't, I agree too, man. And I wonder at what point I was listening to sports radio over the last couple of days and it's like, at what point the guys just, you know, you know, you're not making the playoffs, you know, that there's like no hope in, in sight. Like, when do you start not playing as hard and like yeah. not wanting to get, you know, they maybe or you're making maybe business you're, decisions. Yeah. Now. You're making exactly. That's what they said too. you're making. When, when do you start making business decisions? Um, you know, if you're not a free agent next year, why are you going to like go risk getting hurt um, in these last few games to try to, you know, save a, a sinking ship that's already halfway down. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, what team, yeah, especially Denver, I mean, uh, who, the, and these teams that are, were expected to do so well this year. And even, and you keep hearing on like the defense, like you keep hearing on, uh, on the TV and stuff that, Hey, if uh, they just scored 19 points a game, they'd be nine and one right now. Yeah. <laughs> like that's got to just drive you up the fucking wall. And if you I'm saw a defense that. for sure. And you saw that boil over when that uh, defensive lineman coming off the field got in Russell Wilson's grill. And Russell Wilson looked shook after that guy came and got in his face. It was fantastic. Man, Um, we talked about draft day last week. There is a scene where they're trying to figure out why none of uh, the star quarterbacks uh, teammates went to his 21st birthday party. Yeah. Apparently they had a birthday party for uh, Russell last over the last couple of days, and like only half the team showed up. Like yeah. there's no buy-in to this guy, no. um, so I think that's going to be a problem. Chemistry needs to be a major part of what you do to build a program in the NFL. So um, unless he decides to figure this out, it's up to him. If he wants to pivot, get these guys in a room and tell them that he's messing up and we're going to get better at this. I'm going to change what I'm doing here. We're going to we're going to stick to the system, whatever, you know, whatever he has to say to get it done and then follow through with that. He will still have that team there, but he has to step up and make that decision. He can't send his he can't send his um, his assistant or or advisor or his, you know, the person that he's been working with his, you know, TB12 version of. The guy he's working with, right. so he has to be he has to come from the heart. He has to be genuine, which I think he has a really tough time doing, to the people to win that, you know, that locker room back. If that doesn't happen, this is well. We have a segment coming up later. It could be one of the worst trades in in NFL yeah. history. Um, yeah, I saw AQ Shipley, who's former offensive lineman, and I think uh, former uh, offensive uh, line coach in the NFL um, on with Pat McAfee a few days ago, um, like since the weekend. And they were talking about the defensive lineman getting in Russell Wilson's face. And uh, he basically just said, look, like when you're an offensive lineman in the NFL, like you expect to have a good relationship with your quarterback. He's like, I'm not 
calling your fucking assistant to get in touch with you. I, you know, we go out to eat every week Bonding on whatever day. He's like, and if you don't show up to that, that's a problem in the locker room. Like people aren't maybe going to call you out on it, but we're all talking and saying like, why is this guy, he thinks he's better than us or what the hell's going on here? Honestly, it's such an important piece of every single relationship you will ever get into in your life. And that is trust. Yeah. And this is how you build the trust with your teammates. You're not, you're not their boyfriends or girlfriends. They only have a certain amount of time for you to build trust. You guys are going to literal battle with each other. Right. You need to be able to trust that that guy knows what he's doing or at least is, can stand up and say when he's messed up and move forward. That's all they. That's all anybody really wants. Mm-hmm. You know, apologize. Let's move forward. Let's fix the things that were going on. We got your back. That's what they're looking for. And if he's not able to get to the point where he can apologize at that level, this will never work anywhere. Right. Don't oh. don't disagree. A lot of a lot of uh, numbers have been go- floating around this week too about how much uh, how much it's going to cost. Um, Denver to get out of Russell Wilson from 26 million ish. I heard it was 39 in dead cap. If they were to trade him or cut him after this season, okay, it would be 39. 39 million would hit their account next year, would hit their, their, uh, but I think that's salary like cap next year amortized over they, they have to take cap hits all the way through 2026. But I, th- yeah, I think it would. So that 26 million hits that year, yeah. Or so thirty nine would hit, I think, this first year, and then it would it would go down okay. significantly over the next few years. Yeah, they don't. But the, they, the thing is, that contract doesn't even start until next year. Yeah, like he's not even on that contract yeah. extension that he signed yet. So, like, oh man, I can't wait until after we get their draft pick, and I don't have to worry about this guy anymore. Well, we might have to worry about if he figures it out. But yeah, until then, I guess it doesn't matter. All right, enough I mean, of that. I just won't care anymore after that, though, yeah. you know what I mean? I Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Well, enough of that knucklehead. All right, All so right. Baltimore at Jacksonville. This was actually a fun game. I noticed in one of the plays, Baltimore was running. They were in 12. They were in 12. They had two tight ends, one fullback, one running back, and one wide receiver. And the ball was a run. It was a the play was a run. Um, I would hope from so. the Jacksonville thirty, and I was just like, this is like antithetical to everything we know about the NFL. And honestly, it's not working for them. They haven't scored many points over the last you know few weeks. And I don't know what's going on there. Um, Jackson Jacksonville defense was playing lights out. I thought uh, for the most part uh, in that game. Watching the highlights of this, Baltimore had no business losing this game. Like, ev- things had to go perfectly for Jacksonville to come back and, and pull this, this game off. Well, I with thought it was over with that Jackson to Jackson big play Yeah, to get it downfield. Uh, we had a, a Deshaun Jackson uh, sighting. Um, yeah, so I thought after that it was over. I thought it was uh, it broke the back of Jacksonville. But I'm like, whoa, Trevor Lawrence was lights out. He was blacking out in a good way, making yeah. good throws. Like, he did get hit one time, and I was like, oh, my God. I thought his freaking career was over. He got hit, like, as he, like, raised up his arm to throw the ball, he got hit, like, in, up under his shoulder, up, up in his armpit, and, like, driven down to the ground. And I was like, oh, my God, he's dead. And he got popped back up and continued to play and obviously won the game for them. So, 
did you notice that the crowd in Jacksonville looks like a Leonard Skinner concert? I was <laughs> did like, you see the mascot? The mascot. With oh the, my god, with the, with the, the American the flag thong on or whatever. <laughs> Banana. I hat. noticed it like he was, and like I see these things, and then it then it just blows up on Twitter. Well, at one and point like, it was like, yeah, I, like I think I must have flipped over to that game for a minute because I saw it like when it was standing, going on. He's like, and he's like standing behind when he was standing behind somebody, like just standing there, like flexing his hip. I was just like, this is ridiculous. There's so much, so much wrong stuff with that. <laughs> so I am, I've been holding my Trevor Lawrence stock. I did have that hot take, hot take mm-hmm. that he'd be up in the top eight um, by the end of the year. So let's hope that he's. He's right there. He had a yeah. really good. He's had a really good couple of games. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of see what he does next. He had 321, three touchdowns, 29 for 37. Pretty efficient day. Um, really excited to see what he has come uh, coming up. I saw a good take from like a former front office guy on. I don't know. He just has his own podcast or something, but. Uh, it's on the same podcast like platform as Richard Sherman's podcast, but he uh, was saying that he was kind of comparing that 2021 NFL draft club with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and, and all these guys, Mac Jones and all these guys, Justin Fields. And he was like, you know, all these guys seem, you know, he's like, Zach Wilson looks like the worst quarterback ever. Trey Lance, like you don't know, you saw a how like a, what a game and a half from him before he broke his ankle, uh, you know. Then Mac Jones looks very average. He said Justin Fields, or he said and uh, uh, yeah, Justin Fields looks like he could be the be the the one big big uh, piece out of this. But he he had they had to start running him like a running back, and he's getting the crap beat out of him and obviously now he had to miss a game because he separated his shoulder uh out there running around and then um yeah Lawrence down there in Jacksonville and he said you know the thing with Lawrence though Jacksonville can't so these other teams might be regret I mean this this decision could set the Jets back five years by drafting uh Zach Wilson number two overall but He's like, if Jacksonville, as far as Jacksonville's concerned, though, he was saying Trevor Lawrence was the right guy because he would have been, like, anybody that was in that position would have picked Trevor Lawrence, right, number one overall. Nobody's taking any of those other guys before him. And he said Trevor Lawrence is probably the number one pick in 90% of the last, like, 100 drafts. You know, or I mean, not, Obviously, there hasn't been 100 drafts, but 90% of the drafts that we've had, other than maybe Peyton Manning – I don't know. Uh, Andrew Luck, he said, might have gone over him. was was a little higher, um, had a little higher ceiling coming out. Than who? Than Trevor Lawrence. He said Andrew Luck was like more highly thought of than Trevor Lawrence coming out of college. But he's like the so Jacksonville can't really be upset with that pick, even if he just is like an average quarterback his whole career, right? Well, you can be unhappy with it as a fan, but when you're put in a position when you have a, a what looks to be a transcendent talent like that, right, you, have you have to, to take, take the opportunity. But you know the numbers. The numbers yeah. are fifty percent. Out of those five That's guys true. that you discussed, there's probably going to be two of them that are going to be reach a reach an all star game. Yeah. Yeah. I that's why I really don't want 
like the Seahawks going and drafting a quarterback with the with this Broncos pick because I feel like it's yeah it's too hit or miss. I'd rather you know strike out on a great defensive tackle or something than than strike out on a, a quarterback that we don't you know really need. And these guys are pretty good at evaluating talent and blah blah blah. So honestly, if you have an opportunity, you get a really good player in um, a rookie contract. You, you got to take it. But I don't know if the there's going to be a lot of that level fourth pick fifth pick quarterbacks i don't think i think it's bryce young and cj stroud and i'm not sold on either of those guys those guys but um the other thing man that i find interesting is not impressed by ohio state quarterbacks right so i'm not sure how well that's gonna i know we've had that discussion off air before too but i was gonna say i think um you know i obviously with the new collective bargaining where the the fifth year option for first round picks there's always going to be a run on quarterbacks in the first round there's we're you know I, I don't think we're going to have many years like this last year where only Kenny Pickett got picked usually there's a couple people trading back in at the end like I know Seahawks traded out of the first round uh with Baltimore so they could move into the, that 31 spot or whatever to grab Lamar Jackson and get that fifth year option on him. So you see it every year. I think there, I think there probably will. And this year there's a lot of like kind of mediocre, like pretty good quarterbacks. So I think there, we're going to see like, we may see more first round quarterbacks this coming year than we've, we've ever seen. Yeah. I just don't know who's ready to come out yet. I'll have yeah. to, we'll have to deep dive a little bit. I later. think they need to give these guys a little more time too. Cause like, could Zach Wilson have done better if you let him sit for no. two years? No, no. Okay. I think he has a mental tick. He just, right. he can't do it. I don't think it's, I'm not it's, talking it's, to you about Zach Wilson anymore. Because your takes are horrible. That's why I can't, I can't explain that to you enough. Not, to you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not talking to you about Zach, about my just, Zach anymore. Just not Zach Wilson not talking to you about my all right just to wrap up this baltimore jacksonville game um that 67 yard justin tucker attempt is there any other kicker that you let even try that they said he hit a 70 yarder in pregame going that direction too that's crazy yeah but do you have the lower trajectory that you can power through they they said it wasn't like a snapped ball yeah so it's like just the, the the holder holding the ball down there yeah, I don't know. That's uh, he's amazing. So there's two real big winners. Uh, well, I guess three. Um, the Jacksonville mascot was a winner. Um, Trevor Lawrence had a great game, also a winner. And the um, the air in Jacksonville, like heavy, uh, humid air, just preventing that ball from getting that That's 76 true. yards that it needed. All right. All right, man. That was, yeah, good game, though. Yeah, it was fun. Um, next game is the Chargers uh, at Arizona. Um, Arizona D had a couple big takeaways. Um, Kyler's passing yards and efficiency were pretty bad. Um, the word on the street that it's the play calling, but, again, I'm not a, a, ever sure because no one calls a play for you to run around for 14 you know, seconds. So I don't know. And then he ultimately has to make the throws, and they have to be accurate. Is he just there? Are there's no one open, or just there's no one open where you can see? Like, right. is is um, the coach not calling the plays where he likes it? Like, I don't, I don't know. I guess he had called out the play calling in one of the post games, but I just want to know, I know if I 
uh, we need to start a GoFundMe because I want to buy Cliff Kingsbury's house after he gets fired. Ooh, that's quite a GoFundMe. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of other nice ones that you can find on the market. Probably. All right. Well, anyways, I'm looking forward to watching this episode of uh, Hard Knocks to see exactly what happened behind the scenes. But other than that, it wasn't that. Hard Knocks in season has been great, too. I'm, I need to. I, I need to catch up. I love Buda Baker, bro. Yeah. I love Buda Baker. Shocking. He's. And it's not just. I would love him even if he didn't go to UW and wasn't from Seattle. Like I. I like how still. you're putting that out in the world. Okay. No, I I agree. You like good players. Just no. Yeah, but your your fanboy is definitely Look, related anyway, to him being a husky. Keep it moving. Mike. It is what it is, man. Keep All right. it moving. We'll keep it moving uh, to probably the most frustrating, disappointing game of the week uh, for for us, I believe, is Las Vegas at Seattle. Um, great interception by Diggs uh, on the first drive. I just thought it was like, all right, we're setting the tone right yeah. away. You know, defense is there. Um, more to come on that. Uh, then Gino gives, uh, almost gives it right back with an almost interception in the back of the end zone. So I talk about DK Metcalf. I don't know why they keep trying to force it to him so much. He hasn't shown that he is worthy of the forcing. He's not beating his man he's yeah. yeah i just don't understand why we're trying to 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 get it there um for me he's not what i thought he was he had a really good couple first couple of seasons and then it just i, I don't see uh what <laughs> what they like about him honestly um i did notice that the raiders were in man uh all all day which seemed to unlock uh metcalf a bit they started to get him in space a little bit crossing routes not just like a, like a, a yeah, it's not yeah. a go ball. It's not just go forward. Um, they got him moving around and got him open. So I liked how they adjusted to that game plan. Um, I'll have some more on this game as we get into um, take corner. Um, but D- DK had actually had a good game, 11 catches for 90 yards. Tyler Lockett got in the end zone. He was he kind of disappeared in the first half though, and then they finally got him going in the second half. Yeah, he's part of my hot take. Got him in the end zone. Um, I have some questions about what his future looks like. Um, yeah. So could be uh yeah could be trouble yeah the Seahawks defense man just we cannot stop the run and well we could we couldn't and then we could and now we can't. It's like I don't understand yeah. what's going on. Um. Again, is it defensive play calling? Are we are we just not put? Are we getting dominated up, up, I mean, on the offensive line? Um, yeah, because we couldn't. We got. I mean, yeah, they had the lowest uh, quarterback pressure rate or something like that in the NFL this season. The Raiders did. Yeah. Going into this game, and they were all over Geno the whole game. I mean, the offense. Our offensive line definitely didn't look great. We couldn't run the ball. Um, and then on our defensive line couldn't stop like their offensive line dominated our defensive line too for the majority of that game so, so just so the the audience knows we don't get paid to do this right we're just right. two guys talking about football things that we enjoy yeah we do our best to watch all of the games follow up highlights things like that i do most of my watching on the red zone so that i can see as much as i can of all of the games yeah. so i oh i don't always get an opportunity to look to see how the the who's dominating the trenches in a particular game but yeah i would suspect the fact that they ran, ran like 280 yards against us that there is no way that we quote unquote dominated the um the trenches 
Yeah, no, we got dominated for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like that, uh, that 84 yard or whatever, 84, 86 yard, whatever it was. 86, run, yeah. Run. I, I mean, I was like, at that point, I was like, I hope he just runs up the tunnel like Bo Jackson, but he didn't. Again, I have a take for this um, that I'll discuss here in a little bit. And I think it'll give you a little, give the audience a little bit more insight as to what I think about, you know, the yeah. Seattle team and what, what it needs. And sure, everyone's going to say, we need to shore up our defense, but I think there's some other things we can look at as well that might help that defense out a little bit. Yeah. All right. Gino had a great game though, still. Like people that were, like, there was a lot of people on calling for Gino, like, oh, you see, this is, this is what it is. And, you know, he's not the, he's he not can the spin one. it. There's no question. And he's hit, he's hitting guys uh, in, in those small windows. I get it. But he's, they're making a lot of mistakes yeah. in crucial moments of the game. That's true. So I, I want us to cut down those. We, we both, both of these teams, had two turnovers, but that weird miscommunication knocked the ball out of the hand on the RPO. Yeah. Um, those types of things as you're moving the ball downfield really starts to put stress on stress on that defense. And it, when we're in the red zone, we can't turn it over in the red zone. If we get a field goal, we get a field goal, but stop trying to force it into DK Metcalf. Yeah. Just well, and two, two weeks ago, Mike, when we were playing Tampa in Germany, when, Gino, like there was clearly like a miscommunication on a play, or he was gonna run the ball up, uh, do a quarterback design quarterback sneak up the middle, and it just closed up on him, and he kind of stumbled, st stumbled and, off to the side yeah. and fumbled the ball. Like that stuff, like that is what is just killing us right now. Honestly, we should probably be eight and three right now, and at the top of the NFC yeah, West. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on. Enough of that game for now. Um, the next game we have is the L.A. Rams at Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes and Kelsey's undefeated. They're just what a what a duo they are, right? They're just they're they're feeding off defenses right now. And, well, and the thing is that everybody knows you're trying to go to Travis Kelsey, and that you still can't stop him. Because they find all of these different ways to do things. And that's the thing that's so amazing about that team is they're not getting those big explosive plays downfield like, like we're accustomed to, but they are really doing a good job incorporating the running game and, and the passing game and a lot of motion. They had um, Sky Moore all over the field. you like, where's this guy going? What are we going to do? I just, I don't know. It's, right. it's really hard to, um, to defend that. Yeah, that Isaiah Pacheco, moving him into running back, he's looking pretty nice there. They had 10 people catch a football. That's very good. On that day. Um, in addition to all of that, um, Mahomes and Kelsey uh, kicking everybody's ass, there was a Cam Akers signing, uh, sighting. Rather. Yeah. Um, I think there's more pictures of Bigfoot than there are of Akers on a football field this year. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what they're doing. They're clearly... Just trying to empty the coffers, I guess. My guess is they're throwing the towel in. Well, yeah, I saw that uh, Aaron Donald's out this week against Seattle. Um, they're saying Matthew Stafford's, Stafford's out. Done Donald's for the year. out. Um, obviously, Cooper Cup's out. Um, yeah, going down the list of players that are out for them. I think if God, Seattle if it, should win this game. It's a well, big we should have beat. We should have beat the Raiders. 
who yeah. also had the same record going into that game. Yeah. So I don't know. Absolutely. I'm I'm ter- like I think I texted you during the Seahawks game this last weekend that I don't I'm not feeling good about our chances in the playoffs. But then I looked at all the other teams that we're comp- really competing against, mm-hmm. and it seems like just because of the fact that the NFC East is going to play each other a bunch over these next six games that we should. That's uh, how the NFL schedule works. They, they, they back load those divisional games to right. kind of create that uh, urgency, I guess. So yeah, that, that should change some things around. All right, let's move on to New Orleans at San Francisco. I mean, honestly, this game was boring and ugly. Not much else to say. Yeah, it was, it was not a good looking game. So obviously San Francisco, 13 to the Saints, zero. Defense pitches a shutout. They're looking really good. That was good. Garoppolo, relatively efficient in the 67, 68% range. Uh, I, I, I like New touchdown. Orleans' defense. So I'm, I was surprised that they were able to hold San Francisco to 13 points. But, shoot, I was also shocked that New Orleans couldn't score any points either. So. I was positive Garoppolo would make a mistake or two that would – kind of changed the trajectory of this game he just didn't and honestly they're at the top of the um the nfc west right now uh they're uh a game and a half ahead of us because you know they've already beaten us so right. it's really going to come down we gotta we gotta finish out the seahawks gotta finish out strong we gotta beat them um they've already home. they've already played kansas city though and we haven't yet they're, yeah they, there's a lot of things that are, are piling up no nope, i get you right now 100 percent well, apparently Jimmy G has the same win and loss record as a starter that Steve Young had in his first 59 games with San Francisco. So that's good. Interesting. Yeah, that's a weird fact that I That's interesting, today. yeah. All right, moving on to Green Bay at Philadelphia. Um, this was kind of the Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia running attack. Um, that's It was their show. Um, there was a Jordan Love sighting. He looked good when he was in there. I mean, you know, I, and I heard uh, somebody, Jeff Okuda or somebody, say that. Uh, no, it wasn't Jeff Okuda. Anyway, I saw somebody said that uh, he felt like they, it was somebody on Green Bay's defense. I can't remember who now on their podcast said that they felt like uh, Jordan Love didn't, that the offense didn't either miss a beat or like it didn't fall off at all with with uh, Jordan Love in there so well about the he had a passer rating that was better than than Aaron Rodgers but i don't know that <laughs> that's it that's certainly a, a hot take yeah it's not my hot take i'm just saying uh, well no, he, no 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 i wasn't look pretty good. i wasn't trying to hang that on you okay good uh, yeah he went 6 for 913 yards and a touchdown um, in a half of play basically um, all right so for me, I have no idea how this game got to 73. It's I, crazy. I wasn't able to like watch every single play of this, but I, I checked in like when I was like doing the dishes, I had it on my, on the iPad and it didn't look like it was like teams were really moving a lot. Right. I had to like go count the touchdowns. I thought they got to that number some weird way. And they, it's like legit nine touchdowns in that game. Um, it, it's crazy. It just didn't feel like that kind of game, I guess. So one of those deceptive high scoring games, like you just really don't know what happened. Like you drank too much and you wake up and it's 73 points. I'm like, how the hell did we do that? Man, you're having a good time. 
<laughs> All right, last game of the week was Pittsburgh at Indianapolis. Um, I knew this game wasn't going to be fun, um, and it didn't disappoint in that regard. I mean, it was not a fun game. There was little to no action, uh, but ultimately kind of poor clock management drove the final nail into Indianapolis' coffin. Interim, Saturday is now 1-2. and two. We'll see how... Uh, how far he gets not making good decisions blowing it off like I, it wasn't I, that big a deal blah blah yeah, blah not, put, not good takes i put money on this game kenny pickett looked pretty good in this game he did let's see I what his numbers was, were I to your point surprised. uh 174 uh, 20 for 28 is nice uh 174 very ball management-y um they did rush pretty well 172 yards rushing against that indianapolis defense uh got two touchdowns there Seemed to be all it was, all they needed. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, I just I liked the way he played. I thought uh, between him and uh, George Pickens, um, who I really liked out of Georgia, a couple of, you know in the draft this last year, uh, he had gotten hurt and, and didn't really get to do much his last like year and a half at Georgia. But I thought he was a sleeper that that could really come on and. Uh, do some damage and he's kind of living up to that uh, there in Pittsburgh so uh, yeah I, I think Pittsburgh I, I would be pretty happy like now Pittsburgh's getting their defense back to 100% um, I mean I, I don't know that necessarily they're going to be able to do anything this year I don't think they I think they're too far gone to make it the, to the playoffs they're four and but, seven right now yeah so in the AFC that's going to be tough yeah but, um, I think the the future is looking a little brighter than I thought it was going to with Kenny Pickett so well, that's all you can ask for. Holding it together, keeping the ship uh, pointed in the right direction, um, not not killing your team. I mean, mm-hmm. That's part of uh, – that's an important trait in the NFL for sure. Yes, sir. All right. Let's uh, take a look. Uh, looking forward to week 13. We have a few pr- uh, predictions and maybe some games that you really want to watch. So um, I'll lead off. Uh, my first predict or my first bet is the New York Jets money line at Minnesota. I'm really been selling Minnesota lately. Um, that's plus one thirty two. I have a Denver money line at Baltimore. This is a big, big uh, <laughs> chance I'm taking here. I'm really selling the Baltimore offense, uh, being able to move against um, that Denver D, and then I'm hoping that. Um, Russell is able to th- get a couple of drives together and maybe get 17 to 21 points on the board. And if that's the case, game is over. I know it's a lo- it's a big what if. It is a big uh, payout at uh, plus 315 though. So yeah, I'm, I'm really taking the risk. That you lose that, um, but it's neither here nor there. So Go this ahead. one, um, I actually am pretty confident in uh, Cleveland at Houston. Um, I got the Houston money line plus 270. This is Deshaun Watson's back. He's in Houston. Um, Ten of the accusers are going to be in the stadium in a suite in Houston. There's going to be a lot of press. He's coming off the street, essentially, going out there to make you know plays. Um, he has he hasn't been throwing in those tight windows. He hasn't been you know he's may not be up to game speed. You can't really practice it. You have to go out there yeah and and participate against opposing defenses. You have to take those hits. I expect him to turn the ball over a couple of times, make a lot of bad throws. Um, yeah, let's not forget Deshaun Watson wasn't 
Like, in all, I mean, he wasn't like killing it every week, but before he missed a year and a half of uh, NFL football. Right. So, well, I not, think he was probably top three or four quarterback the year before he decided to sit out. Right. Um, and I think that's what people expect. And I'm just not sure you can essentially miss no. a, a, a season and a and three quarter and expect to to come back in and, and to play at that level. So I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. Um, not obviously not rooting for Cleveland in any facet this year for the most part uh, because of this situation. Um, so I'm just going to bet the other side and just hope this scenario is so too overwhelming for him. I want him to fall on his face. I want the Browns to fall on their face. Um, they deserve it. Yeah, I agree. I hope that. I hope that as well. All right, and I'm taking uh, New Orleans at Tampa Bay. I'll take. I'm taking the Tampa money line at plus uh, f- uh, 154. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with this game again. Like, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> These guys. Yeah. That's it for my bets. Do you have any that you're uh, placing this week? Oh, big time! Yes, sir. Oh, boy. Um, I was all and I'm just. I almost took the Broncos to lose Baltimore over the Broncos in that one. And I, if I had to go Minnesota, New York jets, I probably would have gone the other way on that one too. I I was looking at those ones both really closely, but I was definitely feeling it the other way. So it'll be interesting to see how those go. Um, Good luck other than for the Denver game. (laughs) Anyway. uh, So I took Buffalo minus three and a half at new England. I just think I don't like that that hook on the half point hook there, but I feel like Buffalo's getting back to where they were earlier this season at the very beginning of the season. Anyway, when they were really dominating and uh, I want to see them smash Belichick's face in the mud. So um, anyway, then I'm taking Houston minus seven versus Cleveland. And so these are all minus minus one ten games. Um, so I'm betting $110 on each one to win a hundred. Um, so I, yeah, same same reasons as you. I'm not willing to to go uh, full on money line on Houston for them to win straight out, but um, I hope they do. Like that would be ideal, but I'm definitely going to take them in the points. I'm um, taking the Chargers minus one and a half at Las Vegas. Las Vegas is not a good team. I feel like they got very. I mean, just I, I think they just ran into a terrible defense this last week. Uh, in Seattle, and um, I think the Chargers' offense is really kind of coming into their own. So we got the Chargers minus one and a half at Las Vegas. That game, I'm pretty excited about uh, just to watch. It could go any number of different ways. It yeah. could be a barn burner. It could be like a low scoring game. It could be high turnover game. It could be right. a rushing game, a deep passing. Like I'm excited to see what it becomes. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then my fourth game that I'm going to bet on is Pittsburgh minus one at Atlanta. I just feel like I, I really like the way that Kenny Pickett looked this last week and, and how the offense is finally finally coming together. And I think that defense is too good um, to let Marcus Mariota beat them. We will see. I also want to check out, throw this one in there. I didn't bet on it, but I'm really excited to go to watch this one as uh, Kansas City at Cincinnati. Yes. Joe Burrow and those Bengals are starting to make a move. Um, Kansas City with the best quarterback in the league right now. They're firing on all cylinders. Let's see what happens when these two teams collide. They both are relatively weak 
I would I wouldn't say weak, but their weakness is that defensive side. So it could yeah. be a high scoring game. You got uh, Chase back. We'll see what shape he's in. Should be fun. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Should be a good one. Yeah, I, I'm excited, and that's that's one of my my take corners. I have a take corner there on Cincinnati and Tennessee that I want to talk about. Awesome. Minute, so. Well, before we get to take corner, we need Jeremy's question of the week. What do you got? Yeah. So I just wanted to know, Mike, in your opinion what is the worst NFL trade in history? And then where do you think the Russell, because like we've had a lot of talk this week in the media about mm-hmm. that, how bad this Russell Wilson trade is and could it be the worst trade in NFL history? I feel like it's still probably the Herschel Walker trade with the Cowboys and, and Minnesota, but I, I'd like to hear your opinion and, and where you think that Russell Wilson trade kind of lines up. Well, I took a look at, Maybe the top five worst trades, as as I thought, I have an honorable mention as well. I didn't put Russell in here because, and I'll tell you why. Um, so, in no particular order, we can kind of litigate this if you want to. Chargers move up to help the uh, with help from the Arizona Cardinals. So, in 1998, the Chargers get the number two overall pick and select Ryan Leaf. Arizona got two players: Eric Metcalf, Patrick Sapp. And a first round pick in 1980, uh, first and second round pick in 1988, they selected Andre Wadsworth and Corey Chavis. And a first round in 1999 got David Boston. Uh, Here's the aforementioned Viking trade for Herschel Walker. Uh, That happened in 1989. Minnesota got Herschel Walker at the peak of his career. Um, Dallas got five players, linebacker Jesse Solomon, Isaac Holt, Aaron Darren Nelson, and David David Howard and Alex Stewart. None of those players actually ended up playing for those championship teams. Um, and then they, but they got six draft picks, which they turned into Emmett Smith, Russell Maryland, Kevin Smith, Darren Woodson, all all pros. Three of those guys are in the um, in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So um, that turned out really well, obviously for the Cowboys. Um, uh, the Colts forced to trade John Elway, uh, happened in 1983. Denver got a first pick overall, which was John El- the rights to John Elway. Colts got two players, um, Chris Hitton, who was, uh, the first round pick for, uh, Denver, a quarterback, Mark Herman, and the Denver's 1984 first round pick became Ron Salt, who I believe is on the ring of fame or ring of whatever for uh, the Colts. So he did okay. have a good career for them, but wasn't John Elway, obviously. Right. Um, this one was uh, weird to me. Saints give up everything for Ricky Williams. Yeah, that was uh, crazy. 1999, New Orleans got the fifth pick. Um, they selected uh, Ricky Williams. Washington got the 12th pick in 1999, selected um, Champ Bailey. A fifth-round pick got Derek Smith. They got a first-round pick in 2000 the following year, um, picked uh, LeVar Arrington, and a third-round pick in 2000 got Lloyd Harrison. And then finally, um, the Falcons pony up for uh, Julio Jones. So this happened in 2011. Atlanta got first the first-round pick. Um, uh, they selected Julio Jones. Cleveland got, um, in 2011, Phil Taylor in the first round. Second round was Greg Little. Fourth round was Owen Marsidich. Sick. I don't even know the guy. Uh, In in 2012, uh, they had a first round pick that got Trent Richardson. First round pick that got Brandon Whedon. Um, 
And then my honorable mention is the RG3 to Washington for uh, um, from the Rams, and they got uh, eight picks. That was also in 2012. So, um, man, I think out of that, there's a bunch of things. Obviously, the biggest flop was probably Ryan Leaf, but I don't know if they gave up a whole lot for that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and then... You know, I the there. What was the Bobby Lane? Did you see that trade in there at all in your worst trades? Are you talking? Are you talking about from, like back in the thirties yeah, and forties? No, I, I didn't look anything they, past the Super Bowl era, so bro. They, I just happened to see. I, I so I just like put into YouTube like the worst trades in NFL history, and that was like they said that was the second worst trade in NFL history. After like obviously I don't remember the other names of who he he got traded from the Lions to Pittsburgh. And went on to have like a pretty good career, finish his finish of his career in Pittsburgh. But Detroit, they said that he cursed Detroit when he left. Like told them they were never going to win again. Oh, the Babe Ruth thing. And yeah, and then he they've only they've only the won curse. they've only won a single playoff game with Barry Sanders in like 1991. Is the only time they've won a playoff game since they traded Bobby Lane. And I just thought that was uh, funny and interesting. So. Yeah, um, and then so yeah, I mean, where like I just feel like I think people the, are are too like going too crazy right now. Like, yes, at this moment in time, that Russell Wilson trade looks terrible, but if they can, you know, rebuild their offensive line this off season, and you know they have the playmakers around. I mean, it's it's either obviously if Russell Wilson like just never can get it back, this is probably one of the worst trades in NFL history. Yeah. But we'll have to litigate that in a decade. Right. Exactly. If if Russell Wilson can't figure this out, that is the key piece of this. Um, He has some receivers that I'm not trying to sell, you know, bail him out of this. He's playing horribly. Yeah. But he has two of his uh, receivers out uh, for the year. Offensive line is okay, but a little sketchy. Um, so he, he, the offense is, isn't there yet. And I just, I don't know. I'm not really to, to say that that's the worst, worst trade. I would think right. the worst trade for me, honestly, um, just looking at the players and the, you know, the moment, um, probably like the fourth pick or whatever it was for Julio Jones, fourth or fifth pick. Uh, it's you know first of all the Falcons they really reached for a wide receiver that's that's I, he was great all pro considered one of the best in the NFL yeah. for like a decade and if they would have won that Super Bowl a few years ago sure sure probably maybe a different story it seems different but I'm like I don't know that seems like a lot and they gave up I think it was five total picks over the course of the next two seasons and this is the <laughs> thing that gets me more than anything I think both of these teams lost Cleveland picked like. Trent Richardson. And- like guys that weren't in the league after about three yeah, years. Brandon I mean, this Whedon, is 40 year old Brandon Whedon with this level of equity that they had. These weren't crappy drafts back in 2011 and 2012. No. I don't understand what they were thinking, what their process was, how they evaluated talent. But to me, just looking at that number, those, those lists, there's not one person in that list where I would go, okay, that made it worth it. You look at you look at um, Ricky the Ricky Williams trade. You have Champ Bailey. You have Lavar Arrington. Those are worth it. Um, I guess the <laughs> the Colts uh, trading uh, John Elway that was a panic move uh, back in that in those times. And then we also right. had um, 
what's the Colts owner's uh, dad? Cocaine Joe. No, not Cocaine Jim Mercer. Cocaine Jim Mercer's dad. It was uh, Robert Mercer. Robert Mercer. Yeah. yeah, he was very difficult to deal with, and I think the uh, general manager walked out. And were they were still like were they thing. still in Baltimore in '83? Yeah, they were still in yeah. Baltimore too. They moved like a couple years later. Um, Herschel Walker, I guess at the time, can be defended because Herschel was at the peak, yeah. uh, but after he played two and a half years after that and just completely, you know, uh, yeah. declined. So he didn't do much. In, in it's kind Minnesota. of like what he's doing right now in Georgia, but um, <laughs> just declining. Yeah. Uh, but even in that. There, there are some draft picks. Obviously, Emmett Smith, Russell Maryland, Kevin. I mean, it all makes it worth it. You have, you know, three, you know, Hall of Famers out right. of that draft because of that. And let's look at the Ryan Leaf. I mean, Eric Metcalf has. A, I have a place in my heart for him. Corey Chavis was a good safety for several years. David Boston out of Ohio State. Man, he was a just a, a monster receiver back in the day. So, yeah, I don't he know. Was, he was good. Yeah, he was. He uh, liked working out too much, though. Well, as, the, too big, as those Ohio said. State receivers do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Yep. So, yeah, that's uh, – yeah, good, man. I was, yeah, I was just curious because I, I was like, man, come on. Like, they were – like, they've been hyping this stuff up all week on uh, – or really kind of building it up over the last month or so. But It's um, really hard to tell because of the back and forth with it. And having the hindsight of history, obviously, to yeah. decide um, – even the RG3 pick, to jump to four to get him or three to get him or whatever. No, it was two, sorry. To jump to two to get him and that uh, Andrew Luck year, that would have been um, a really good get for that level of talent. But he's very much in, in like Zach Wilson in that you can't teach him not to do certain things. He got injured. He couldn't slide. He couldn't get out right. of bounds. He just There were certain like mental barriers that prevented him – one other one that, like, from a Seahawks perspective that I wanted to put on there, too, is uh, Joey Galloway, the Dallas Cowboys signing him to that free agent, or uh, a fran- when we had franchise tagged him. And this is when I think they only had the exclusive rights franchise tag back in, whatever, 98 or something, 99. And he went and signed with the Cowboys, and they gave us two first-round draft picks for him. And they never... They may have made the playoffs, but they didn't win a playoff game with him and signed him to a huge lucrative deal. And, yeah, I mean, that was probably – Dallas has to be really kick – I mean, at the time. I mean, I'm I, sure they're not and thinking I'm of pretty sure, at all right now. I'm pretty sure that they uh, – well, I mean, at the time, they must have been kicking themselves uh, after – at least after those first few years. But um, because, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Seattle ended up with Sean Alexander and – maybe Steve Hutchinson out of that deal uh, with those two first round draft picks. So not bad, not bad. Yeah. All right. Um, time for take corner. So I changed up. Um, we're, we're doing the whitewash, which is the Mike whitewash. Uh, we mentioned that earlier. So 22 for, uh, 28, uh, 79%, 115 yards passing passing not passings uh three tds and no interceptions really good day for him hopefully uh he can take that into minnesota and beat them because i'm i'm betting on it uh no no fields of dreams this week he he was a dnp for the the shoulder injury all right all right what do you got for take corner so my main one here is the cincinnati Bengals. i think even though Kansas City has a better record, 
I think that the AFC goes through Cincinnati again. Not maybe not literally through Cincinnati. I guess it could if if Cincinnati beats Kansas City this weekend. But Cincinnati has won. They they went zero and two to start the season. They're seven and two since then, and seem like they're getting better and better. And that's without Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is coming back. I'm I'm really excited, really really excited for this team going going forward here. And if they can get a win against Kansas City this weekend, the sky is truly the limit for these guys. Um, I'm not as confident. They still can't run the ball. Uh, that's going to be a big problem. Well, that's um, Samaj Joe Bur- P. Ryan or whatever looked pretty good this week without Joe Mixon in there. I'm they, just saying they like, still can't run the too. ball. <laughs> uh, Bro gets hit a lot, so we'll see how that plays out over the course of the rest of the year. Got an extra game in there with an extra game of hits. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm holding. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not bu- selling. I'm buying, I'm buying Cincinnati stock. I'm right holding, now. and I'll decide after this week what they look like. And I'm kind of buying Tennessee. Like that game this last weekend. Like I watched like five different highlight reels of it, and that was a fun game. And I, I think that both of those teams could have are going to have something to say in the playoffs here in the AFC. I'm. Om- I, I guarantee they're both going to be in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, but I'm, just, I'm just thinking. I think, what level I think of success gonna... when they get there? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, we were all shocked when uh, Tennessee knocked uh, Kansas City off a couple years ago, and then obviously when Cincinnati knocked them off this last year. So yeah, uh, it's, you know, it, these teams they they and so like a lot of the players on those teams remember that. I don't think they're scared of Kansas City or Buffalo by any means. Right. So. Should be uh be an interesting interesting uh AFC playoffs especially I'm, I'm looking forward to. All right, all right. So right after that Seattle loss, um, my brother texts me just dejected. Uh, he was brooding that the Seahawks needed you know to shore up their defense like right away that initial like raw reaction. Yeah, and um, I mean they were bad. There's no question. Uh, the Seattle D gave up 576 yard, total yards, allowing nine for 16 in third and fourth down conversions, and definitely missed more than a few tackles. My response to his brooding, however, was Seattle needs to draft a wide receiver in the top rounds. Lockett will be re- retiring before his contract's up. There's no question in my mind. He is definitely thinking about his real estate career. Um, he's... I don't think he's showing up the way that you need a player to, which is fine. I'm not, he's been great for us throughout his career, but he's like catching the ball and falling to the ground and then rolling as far as he can until somebody touches him. That's kind of what his, his whole jam is right now. So I I don't know if that's going to scare defenses the way that we need. Um, so here's my point, I guess. The Seattle D went out on the field um, for a full 10 minutes longer than the offense. That's almost a full quarter that the defense was out there on the field. Jesus. Um, that is a direct function of our inability to sustain drives. There was only one drive that was even close to 10 plays or more. That was a, a nine-play drive where we fumbled the ball in the Las Vegas 27. So that was that drive where we pound it, get it down, like a long sustained drive so that that defense can recover and hydrate and do all the things that, that they need to do to prepare for the next series. Yeah. Um, we don't really have a receiving threat. Um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, 
the Raiders were playing man all day to stop the run. They right. they did they weren't even worried about us beating them with the pass. It didn't matter. They were daring us to pass on them, and but we couldn't muster more than about six yards per pass per play. Um, we were behind the sticks most of the day. That's a problem for us. We need to be on schedule. Um, we're not really pushing the ball downfield. Um, we don't have the offensive um, skill players to be able to do that. And when we can't run the game, uh, run the ball, that's that's a major problem for us. Um, we also had two turnovers um, uh, in the game, which also hurt us. And then in overtime, five yards. That's all we got. We gained five yards in overtime and had to punt. Yeah. And then was that first down that they ran that 86-yard uh, run up the gut? I think it might have been. It was it was over in a blink of a freaking eye, man. Yeah, I think I had turned around ball, to like pick up. We got the ball up. back at like four, the 45-yard line too. We needed like 20 yards to get into field goal range. I was like uh, playing with my dog or something like that. And I bent over to like pick something up and I come up and it's like a touchdown. Yeah, it was one play, 86 yards on that. Um, yeah, I think our first pick, our, that fourth round, our fourth pick overall, fourth, third, fourth, fifth, wherever we end up, yeah. should be a defensive player. There's a lot of defensive talent early in in the in the in the draft. We can get that guy out of Georgia, that defensive tackle out of Georgia. We can get that linebacker out of um, Alabama. Um, I don't know. Is that uh, defensive lineman out of LSU coming out too? I mean, there's probably, I would imagine. Honestly, with that level of talent there, we, I'm hoping we can get one of those guys to sure up that defensive uh, defensive line. But yeah. I, I think we should look hard at trying to find some talent in the later rounds um, or maybe even the second, our second pick in the first round. Let's see where we end up there. And can we get a receiver there? Is there somebody of talent at that point? Yeah. And we need to really think about, if we got DK run and goes the whole time and we need to find some other, you know, somebody else to just pull that away and we need to train that, that person, we got to train DK up. We got to have him running routes. I mean, that's all yeah. I'd have him doing. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my take on the team. Uh, we got to shore up the offense as well. We got to get the offense needs to stay on the field a little bit longer to protect that defense. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. I All agree, right, man. Uh, my final uh, hot take is the statue for Sean Taylor. Oh my God! Absolutely disrespectful. T- terrible. His daughter was crying. Like, why? Why would you even not? Why? Yeah, I have no idea. It looked like a freaking mannequin in a. It in, was. In it was a mannequin. Or yeah. Something. We had soccer cleats on. Um, and like the pants. The shoes, the pants, and the jersey were all different. Like one Brands. was Adidas, one was Reebok, and one was Nike. I was yeah. like, "What the hell are you guys doing?" Um, I this is like the easiest thing. You hire a person to make a, a statue. It's very simple, and you find like a picture or something where you the guy can render it or the the, the artist can render it. Yeah. Maybe in clay first, and you get an idea what it's going to look like, and then. You just do it in bronze. It, to me, it's like you just pay for it and you let the artist cook, right? Yeah. And I, I'm, I don't know who decided to do this or that thought it was a good idea. It clearly was somebody that didn't understand football, didn't understand how much he was loved by the fans, didn't um, – I just I, – I don't know. It's a disgrace. It's an absolute it disgrace. Was, it was – I mean, it, it, 
is it really surprising coming from this team though? Well, that's the other thing I was going to mention. Like they are pretty inept at a lot of things. Um, I guess playing football right now isn't one of them. Um, but just everything around that franchise is just an absolute shit, shit show. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more with you, Mike. So, all right, man, you ready to move on to the diversity section? I don't know. Are you ready to move I'm on? Like, I'm going to let you go first, man. I got a couple here. <laughs> you go. You want me to go? Go. I got two of them. Okay. You I got one do... long one. Okay. You want me to do both of mine? Yep, just run it. All right, so first one is just the World Cup. It's been fun. I've been watching the U.S. games um, and caught a couple other uh, little portions of games. Like, I'm not a soccer fan by any means, football, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I love the Peyton Manning, David Beckham commercials where they're arguing about uh, what's, what it's called. And then David Beckham's like, I own a soccer club. He's like, oh, you just called it soccer. It's like, just, it's beautiful. There, there's some really good commercials right now, too. I might do a, a diversity section on that soon. Just how good commercials are? Just, there's there's some. There's like a few uh, commercial, like, chains or whatever. Uh, Those guys got you. Yeah, they're hilarious. But uh, uh, the other one, man, that I have just watched uh, over the last couple of days was there's a new HBO Max four-part documentary series. Um, they've only had the first episode out, and it's called Shaq. Episode episode one is called From Shaquille to Shaq. Uh, and it's um, basically follows him from, you know, early childhood through uh, going to the Lakers. Wow, so the through, Lakers in the first episode? Yeah, they get him all the way to the Lakers Jeez. in the first episode. Fast forward. But, well, it's only four parts, so I guess. But, I mean, still, yeah, you think... Yeah, there's probably they, but there was the whole I, I don't okay yeah it's it, I was surprised too like I kept thinking it's about to end and then they would do something I'm just like holy like they they did definitely touch they went quickly over like I didn't realize how much beef him and Penny Hardaway had uh, at the end like they weren't even speaking anymore like Penny Hardaway heard on ESPN that Shaq had gotten had signed with uh, the Lakers but um a couple interesting takeaways uh they um so the the way he started rapping, he wasn't ever like really rapping much, but he really liked this group called Fooshnickens. Yep. And he called Arsenio Hall and said, "Hey, I want to come on your show, but I want to do something different." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, I want to I watch this." He's like, "I want to come on with my friends Fooshnickens and I want to perform a song with them." And Arsenio Hall was like, "Okay, that sounds cool, man. I'm like, let's set it up." Well, Shaq didn't even know Fooshnickens at the time. He just liked them a lot. They And then he got them <laughs> to come out. I know, right? And, and he's like one of the biggest stars. I mean, everybody knows, like, he was – I remember, I think I was in eighth grade when he came out of uh, college, and he was, like, the biggest star on the planet to me and my friends. But, um, yeah, he uh, – so he, 92 draft, I believe. Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, yeah, it was. And he uh, – goes so they they practice a couple he gets with fushnikins they practice a couple times he writes this rhyme and they perform well like a week later they shoot a video for the song and then like a week after that barry weiss the ceo of uh, jive records offers Shaq a 10 million or offers him a rap contract or a music deal and Shaq's like i'm not a rapper and he's like then they told me $10 million. I was like, I guess I'm a rapper. Like, all right, let's do it. 
and then, uh, so I thought that was hilarious because I thought he just like was always rapping like growing up, but he said he he wasn't. So. I, I have to I have to be honest with you. I'm a little concerned that you're just through the first episode and they're all, he's already on the Lakers. I know. I'm just, I'm just like, how are they going to fill three I'm, more episodes? I'm, I'm worried. And they're hour long episodes. I'm so worried. I'm, I'm I hope they edited this well. I'm interested to see how it goes. Uh, the other good, the interesting takeaway to me, uh, one of my most underrated favorite sports movies of all time called Blue Chips. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, Pen- yeah. Penny Hardaway was on it. He didn't, uh, him and Shaq didn't know each other at all at the time. And Penny is, has just declared for the NBA draft. And uh, Shaq said he came uh, onto the onto the set and was just like oh hey what's up man like how long have you been acting for and he's just like oh i'm not even an actor i'm a i play for memphis state uh, i just declared for the draft and uh he said then then they were they're practicing all the time they're like doing you know like choreographing basically their game or whatever and he's like i'm just feeding him the rock like every time i'm like man this could be us man this could be us like and so uh uh, they go back and Shaq is like calls the GM of the team. And I think Nick Scott was like, you gotta be, you gotta be aggressive, man. If that's who you want, you gotta call him and tell him that's who you want. Nick Scott, and, uh, Nick Anderson. Nick An- no, not Nick Anderson. Oh man. Who was it? Anyway, I'm getting the, it's what they, the other Scott, Dennis the Scott, Scott, Dennis, Dennis Scott, Scott. Yeah, my yeah. bad. Okay. Uh, Dennis Scott is like, I didn't know if it was like a GM yeah, no, or something. No, no. Yeah. Dennis Scott, the player. Yeah. He's like, you gotta, you gotta go tell the GM what you want, man. Like tell him you, he's like, this is your team now, bro. And so he goes and he's like, I want Penny Hardaway draft Penny Hardaway. And they're like, Oh, we think we're going to draft Chris Weber. He's like, I don't need a big man, a, a power forward who likes to shoot the ball all the time. I need somebody who's going to pass me the ball. And that's what Penny Hardaway. The, the irony do. is that that would have been an amazing matchup oh, with Chris Weber. Was such a, a a good passer. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but yeah, so they uh, so then they draft uh, they draft Chris Weber number one overall, and Shaq's like just calls up the GM. Just he's just mfing him up and down the phone call. You better you better get Penny Hardaway on this team, and he's like. Like 20 minutes later, midway through the first round of the draft, uh, then they show the clip of uh, the trade. Yeah, uh, what's his name? The old GM of or the old uh, commissioner of uh, David Stern announcing the trade between the between the uh, Magic and the, the Golden State Warriors. So I was like, wow, that's uh, that that's interesting. I didn't know sliding doors I moment, didn't know right? How how that all went down, but that was uh, that was very interesting to me. So anyway, I look forward to it. Yeah, it's it was good. The first episode was great. I, I agree with you. I couldn't believe they got him all the way to the Lakers before. We'll see. My fingers are oh, crossed. Oh, the other thing, he said that he met with, he went to meet with Jerry West, and he told, uh, basically, so his grandma had passed away. Shaq's grandma had passed away, and they were like, "You need to come back. We're playing the Bulls, and we need you in the game." And he's just like. I'm not coming back. Like my freaking grandma just died. I'm trying to like console my family or whatever. And they were like, we need you back. And like, so they sent a private jet to come get him and bring him back. And he got there like halfway, not even halfway through the game, but like he got, went in, got warmed up, got dressed, taped, all that stuff came out, balled out, but they still lost the game. And he said he went straight in the GM's office and was like, I want a hundred million dollars. 
And they were like, we can't pay you $100 million. And he said then he met with Jerry West that offseason. Jerry West is like, Shaq, got to tell you, I'm sorry. I can't get you $115 million. He's like, I, I'm going to give you $120 million. Shaq was like, my guy. All right, let's go. So <laughs> it was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of like good, money. yeah, there's a lot of good, uh, good little stories in there that I, I found interesting. Well, he's so. damn near a billionaire now. So it all yep. worked out, I suppose. Yep. Yep. So, all right, man, let's hear your, uh, all right. Ready for this. So I, I probably not, but go <laughs> ahead. All right. So I read this book. I read it in two days. It's like a 300 page book. Um, the hidden history of neoliberalism. I'm going to oh, butcher this okay. word. Um, it's basically the history of neoliberalism and how it gutted Amer uh, America and kind of destroyed the middle class. So a quick review here. Dig in. About 3,000 years ago, 3, <laughs> the rise of agriculture brought forth the rise of what they called a nation state. Kind of think of the Aztecs, the Mayans, the kingdoms of Europe and, and Asia. Within many of these nation states, uh, feudalism arose. This is where the power was seized by those willing to engage in violence to gain control of the land, food supplies, and wealth, usually in this case, precious metals. Feudal kings not only owned the land and the resources it provided, they owned the people that lived on it, like, like slaves, essentially. Yeah. Um, as economies became more complex and sophisticated, um, early forms of capitalism began to emerge. Along with the debt servitude and multi-generational wealth accumulation, uh, this led to massive debt and uh, economic inequality, you can imagine. Right. So today we call this free market capitalism. It's the foundation. Uh, its foundations are slavery, dynastic fortunes, and monopolies. In 1957, Adam Smith, one of the forefathers of our modern economics, um, was writing that humans have always struggled to fo forge political solutions for economic injustices, but but thought capitalism could be regulated uh, to minimize the moral harm it causes. So regulation is the key to making sure capitalism doesn't turn into slavery and monopolies and stuff like that. In, 19, in 1867, Karl Marx had the same concern, writing that he believed that it was necessary for state to control all political and economic issues. This was particularly enticing to the mass of poor people in Russia prior to the Bolshevik Revolution uh, that happened in uh, 1917 to 1923, whereby the Soviets removed the Russian monarchy and redistributed the wealth to the people. In theory, um, this happened, but we know that in this case, absolute power led to many kind of humanitarian atrocities. So I'm not going to litigate that here. Yeah. Communism, that's what that was. The state's total control of politics and economy is one extreme end of the scale. The other is neoliberalism, which is defined by completely unregulated free market capitalism. So now you can see like both ends of the spectrum. This term, neoliberalism, was first coined in 1938 in, uh, in Paris. It was later popularized by the Mont Peregrin Society, Perrin Society, uh, first met in Switzerland in the rubble of post-World War II, 1947. Okay. Like, like many uh, of the economic societies and meetings throughout history, this group consisted exclusively of white men. 
there wasn't a lot of uh, diversity in these types of uh, summits. Uh, many of those men were directly affected by the rise of communism and the National Socialist Party in Germany, uh, also known as Nazis. Uh, many believe that a strong government um, led to more totalitarian regimes, stated that expanding government services like free health care and education for all would destroy the freedom and thought uh, of freedom of thought and expression. Uh, this is similar to the beliefs of Ayn Rand's book, uh, Atlas Shrugged, Fountainhead. Um, she kind of, her father was a, like a rich uh, businessman prior to the Bolshevik Revolution and then had everything taken away. A lot of these people basically had a lot of reason to not like, you know, governments and regulation and all that because right. of their experiences in Europe. One of the most, one of these men, uh, Milton Friedman, was perhaps the most influential proponent of this economic system in the United States. By 1960, he was a professor of economics in, at Chicago University, was a speechwriter for Barry, Goldwa Barry Goldwater's pres presidential campaign, and a former advisor for several important political figures worldwide, including Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, and Donald Rumsfeld. All right, so he comes up with this neoliberalism plan or the plan that he wants to execute. Um, they, they really tried it in three major, uh, on a national scale, in three major experience, uh, experiments. Uh, the first was kicked off in 1973 in Chile. The second was in 1981 in the United States. And the third was in 1991 in Russia. So I'm not going to discuss too in depth the, the, the following two because the first one kind of really sums up on a really concentrated scale, the negative effects of this free market capitalism. Okay. Um, and then we'll kind of just brush over the other ones. All right. So, uh, where we go? In 1971, Chile accounted for 20% of the world's known copper reserves. And thanks to worldwide telecommunications and technology boom, it was one of the world's most valuable metals. Copper is used inside wiring and things like that. Right. At the time, copper accounted for 75% of Chile's exported earnings. Uh, but these earnings were only a small portion of the actual value of the copper being exported. Three massive American companies, Anaconda, Kennecott, and Cerro, uh, claimed to own roughly 80% of the nation's copper. This was all remnants of some 19th century U.S. colonial claim to the mines. Enter in Salvador Allende, a Ch Chilean uh, politician. He began his po political career with the nationalization of the country's banks by simply buying up the bank stock and, uh, on an open market. Over the next three years, he had nationalized 91 industries, increasing wages and lifting substantial portions of the working poor out of poverty. So he's basically using not quite communism, but the, the government buying and controlling, you know, industry. Yeah. And by doing that, he's able to dictate if it's used well and for the people, it's, it's helpful. If, if, if it's it not, kind of, if it gets corrupted, then it's, it, not, then it's right. not a good system. Like which with all political systems, honestly. Yeah. Um, now, Alande was a Marxist. Um, but he was also pragmatic and didn't want to disrupt the country's uh, industries too much. He was generally fine with capitalism as long as the business were Chilean owned, paid employees well, and acted responsibly in the nation's interest. 
So with that in mind, on October 28, 1971, shortly after being elected as president of Chile, Allende nationalized the copper mines, and after a special hearing determined that the American mining companies had done so much damage to the mines, to the working people, and to the economy, that they collectively owned over $370 million. That's about $2.8 billion adjusted for inflation. Wow. This act set off alarm bells within Nixon's White House and the CIA. They believed that nationalizing the country's natural resources was the first step to communism. The final straw for Nixon was when Allende's uh, nationalized the Chile's telecommunications system, uh, 70% of which was owned by International Telephone and Telegraph ITT, which was an American company. ITT submitted an 18-point plan to Nixon as uh, reported by the New York Times in July of 1973. So we have a corporation submitting a plan to a sitting government on how they believe that he should intervene in this country to save their profit. Okay, here's a a blurb from that particular uh, plan. The ITT plan called for extensive economic uh, warfare against Chile uh, to be directed by Special White House Task Force, assisted by the CIA, the subversion of Chilean armed forces, and consultations with um, foreign governments on ways to put pressure on Allende's regime and diplomatic sabotage. All this kind of like jackal stuff that we, the right. CIA, used to do back then. <clears throat> Well, shortly thereafter, Nixon, in, a secret, uh, in secret, authorized $10 million uh, for covert operations in Chile. Soon, the CIA launched a campaign against Allende, which included economic pressure and alignment uh, with a military general named Augusto Pinchet. Pinchet was a leader of a Chilean, quote unquote, Nazi cell within the army that fired upon and killed uh, striking workers in 1967, among other things. And he was a frequent visitor of the U.S. command in the Panama Canal Zone um, and the military attache for Washington, very much like Noriega. <clears throat> yeah. We all know what happened there. Um, weeks leading up to the coup and paid for by the CIA and ITT, Chile Chilean truckers entered the city and began a blockade in an effort to slow down commerce. Then on September 11th, 1973, Pinchot, along with his army and air force, began to began a bombardment of the presidential palace. President Allende addressed the public for one last time and then shoots himself. This ended 160 years of Chilean uh, democratically elected leaders. When Pinchot, uh, Pinchot as president, he began torturing and executing 13,000 people he believed to be allies of the support or supporters of Allende, uh, and with encouragement of the Nixon administration, brought in some freedmen acolytes. They called them the Chicago Boys at the time um, to institute his economic policy. So after all this, we insert these guys to come in and start dictating um, economic policy for the country. Under this guidance, Pinchot pri privatized almost every industry in Chile, removed uh, all wage, price, and labor uh, protections, increased military spending while reducing overall government spending 25%. The result, 
Inflation rate was 375% in 1974, highest in the world at the time. Cheap imported products flooded the market, forcing factories to shut down and, hopeless and homelessness to, to increase. Prices of food and other essential items increased by 1,000%. Uh, in 1982, the GDP dropped from, uh, by 14% and unemployment increased by 30%, driving Chile into one of the greatest depressions the world had ever known. And Chile, and Chile's foreign debt reached $19 billion, the highest per capita debt in the world. So this is kind of like U.S. doesn't like this country taking control of its own right. uh, assets. We're going to go there and intervene. We're going to put a system in so we never have to worry about that again. And then we basically gut that place. Yeah. So they did it in the United States as well. This one's much shorter. So thank you for hanging in here with me. Yeah. Uh, the United States, once Reagan took over as president in 1981, he began this his policy of uh, what I guess we can call Reaganomics, which um, is which in part is privatizing public functions, including moving from the mil uh, moving much of the military and government uh, to contractors, significantly reducing taxation, basically privatizing a lot of key things that the government and the military does. Significantly reducing taxation to the nation's highest earners, increasing tax taxation in the middle. And the way he was able to do this at the time to sell higher taxes for the middle class was he ensured that government policy would favor white citizens. Essentially, you're going to have the control. Don't worry about it. But we're going to raise your taxes a little bit. Okay. All right. So we're kind of con continuing to. Um, reinforce that whole di idea of racism that you know <laughs> this country seems to like really enjoy or at least was founded off of in some in some regards um, removing all regulations and oversight for corporations trade etc um, now the corporations were in power uh, systematically destroying unions and organized labor these institutions provided a voice for many against the few and the powerful uh, they definitely needed to go now, every single president since Reagan has played a significant part in maintaining this status quo. This includes H.W. Bush, Clinton, W. Bush, Obama, and Trump. Uh, up to this point, Biden seems to be the only president in the last 40 years to appear to want to make uh, changes to this economic policy. So it's looking up. I'm hoping that we continue to go down this path. Yeah. And finally, Russia... Um, after the collapse of the USSR, Mikhail Gorbachev wanted to create a progressive democracy, similar to those what you would see in, uh, in Scandinavian countries. Uh, however, the Friedman boys um, had other ideas. And along with Boris Yeltsin, under the threat of civil war, initiated a coup and installed Yeltsin as president. Uh, from that point, uh, they systematically moved uh, to privatize almost all industries whilst creating a strong militarized central government. Russia to this day is, is more of an oligarchy uh, than it is a socialist republic. They are fast, um, where a, a vast majority of the country's wealth is controlled by very small number of people in families and companies. Some of, the, some of the things that I learned with this book. Very bleak at times, I, I have bet. to say. Yeah, man, that, that's got to be. Wow, well... <laughs> Uh, that was a that was a hell of a book report, Mike. <laughs> I, can, 
<laughs> if anybody's still listening, God bless you. Um, no, that was that was interesting. I'm just giving you a hard time, but uh, I try to share some of these things like off that I find interesting. Throughout yeah. the, and I mean, it took me a minute to kind of put this together, and I knew I could just keep going with this. But honestly, right. just go read the book if you're into this sort of thing. And what's the name of the book one more time? It's called The Hidden History of Neoliberalism by Tom Hartman. Okay. Um, pretty good book. It's a quick read. Obviously it's not, it's not crazy. I guess it's about 270 pages or so, um, smaller book, but it's, it's worth it. Gives you some context on some of the shenanigans that we were doing, you know, the Nixon administration up through, um, through Trump and how destructive that's been on the world. Yeah, no, that's, that's important stuff for sure. Well, yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm here for it, man. I, I enjoyed uh, hearing about that. I might have to give that book a read. I might just borrow it from you, though, instead of going to buy it. Um, <laughs> sure. But, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, if you guys could uh, like, rate, review, listen, share, all that good stuff, we would appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week. All right, Jeremy, it's not about the, the money. It's about the game between people. Couldn't agree more, Mike. Till next week, guys. <laughs>